Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are a great God, and you've been so faithful that you brought a church out of a dream. And over the last 30 years, you've met our needs. You've brought so many people from death to life. You've changed so many lives, and you've given us the privilege of worshiping you and serving one another and planting churches around the world. And we think of 122 churches around the world gathering together and, and worshiping you today, and we've had a part in that. Thank you. I pray as we gather together and open your word together today that you, Holy Spirit, would fall fresh on us and that even here today that, that lost people would be one to you and believers would be built up in you and workers would be equipped and, and disciple makers would be multiplied because there are so many people who have yet not heard the name of Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a postmodern world, and what that really means is post-truth, that people today really don't believe in truth, but though people don't believe in truth, they believe in beauty. They believe in beauty, so when we invite people to come and see Jesus, we want them to not just know that he's true, but that he's beautiful, that Jesus is beautiful. Matter of fact, that's the point of today's message, is that Jesus lived a beautiful life, when I was invited many years ago to come and, and see Jesus, what struck me wasn't that it was true, was that I had never met anyone like Jesus. And I said, I want to believe in him and I want to follow him. And, and we believe that there are some people here today, we're so glad you're here. We want you to come and see Jesus with us because we believe when you see Jesus, you'll say, man, I want to believe in him. I want to follow him. I have never seen anyone like Jesus. I mean, have you ever wondered? I mean, there's the Ten Commandments, right? Have you ever wondered what, what would it look like if someone kept the Ten Commandments? What would it look like if someone put God first? What would it look like if someone honored their father and mother? What would it look like if a man treated a woman with respect? What would it look like? What would it look like if, if, if someone didn't bear false witness and if someone didn't covet? You know what it would look like? It would look like what? Jesus. And wasn't it beautiful? I mean, wouldn't you like to live like Jesus lived? Don't you think we could make a difference if we live like Jesus lived? Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever wondered what it would look like not to follow Jesus? You ever wondered what it would look like not to obey the Ten Commandments? To say no to God and no and no? You know what it would look like? It would look a lot like Pharaoh, wouldn't it? Isn't that what we've been learning that Pharaoh says to God what? No, no, no. And what we're going to see is Pharaoh's life wasn't beautiful, and it brought death and destruction not only to him, but to so many others. This morning, we'll see the difference of saying yes to God like Jesus, what that looks like, and what no to God looks like with, with Pharaoh. If you're new, welcome. <clears throat> we're walking through the book of Exodus together, and, and we're glad you're, you're, you're with us. Um, and, um, but before we open it up, uh, previously on Exodus, okay, where are we? It's about 1450 B.C. I mean, where is this in history? It's about 1450 years before Jesus came. And, um, and the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. They're slaves. And uh, God, they, they cry out to God for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer, a reluctant deliverer, and his name is Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. 
And Pharaoh has too many slaves, two million slaves, and he says, What? No. So God begins to send plagues to, to force Pharaoh to let Israel go. We're going to see there's 10 plagues altogether. We've already seen the plague of blood and frogs and gnats and flies. This week, we're going to look at plague five, six, and seven. We're going to look at how the livestock died, the boils on their bodies, hail from heaven. And then we'll come back in the next couple of weeks and look at locust, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. But today, we're going to focus on, on three plagues, livestock, boils, and hail. So that's kind of where we are in the story. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 9, and we'll jump in. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. And we've been learning that Moses is a messenger. He's not the message. He delivers a message. When we're witnesses for Christ, we're not the message. We're the messengers. And what he proclaimed was the gospel. He says, let my people go that they may serve me. And we learned last week that the Israelites were saved from Egypt by God's deliverer to worship and serve the Lord. And that's just like us. To be saved is to be saved from. It's to be saved by. It's to be saved for. For if you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe pestilence on your livestock, which are in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. See livestock? Livestock really means cattle. Uh, now, now think about that for a moment. Remember, those of you who know the Bible, remember that Moses goes up on the mountain and um, he comes down and Aaron had let the people get out of, get out of control and they had made a, a what? A calf. You ever wonder why they made a calf? Why did, they make, why did they think a calf was God? Because the Egyptians worshipped cows. That's where it came from. All, a lot of the plagues had to show that God was more powerful than the gods of Egypt, so they worshipped cows, and, and so the Israelites took that idol with them. That's why Aaron made the, um, the calf. Now back to the story here. Notice how it says in the field. It, it seems like that the cattle and the livestock that were in the field were going to get this pestilence and die. But it seems like those that were brought into the home wouldn't die. And I, the reason I say that is in the next two plagues, we still see that there are animals. So it seems like the easiest reading of this passage is that the animals that were taken in from the field survived. Those that were left out didn't. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing will die of all that belongs to the sons of Israel. The Lord set a definite time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And we've been learning in the Bible, the heart is the control center. It's the mind where we think, it's the emotions where we feel, and it's our will. And so Moses said, no, I won't let the people go. 
Now, I want you to see something. We see a pattern here because the Bible is one story. The story of the Bible is the gospel, and it's told over and over again. What we see in the story is God warned the people, if you bring your animals in, they will live. If you don't, they will die. And he gave them a certain time, and then God's judgment fell on those on the outside, and those on the inside were saved. Doesn't that sound familiar? Wasn't that the story of Noah, wasn't it? That God warned the people a flood was coming. God provided a way of escape, didn't he, on the ark. God gave people 120 years to get on the ark. Those that got on the ark lived. Those that stayed out perished, right? And isn't that the story of history, isn't it? that God has raised up a Savior named Jesus, and he's giving people time to repent and believe, and those who believe and repent will be saved, and those who don't will not. You ever wonder why history keeps going? Here's why. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise to come back. He's not slow about his promise for judgment to fall for a new earth, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient not toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See the word repentance? It literally means a change of thinking. Now, what did Pharaoh do with his heart? He did what he hardened his heart. So repentance is the changing of our heart. It starts with our mind that we change our thinking. As we change our thinking, it changes our emotions. As we mo change our emotions, we say yes to God rather than saying no to God. So listen, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Say yes to God, not no. Pharaoh hardened his heart. That was the first plague. Um, the, the, the livestock died. Now the second plague we're going to, to look at are boils. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handful, handfuls of soot from a kiln and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. See, man, before this, all the plagues had affected nature. They had affected animals. But this would be the first plague that would actually be on people. Because each of the plagues that God was bringing was intensifying because he was seeking to bring the people to repentance, to let Israel go. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. Can, can you imagine what it would have been like to be covered with boils from head to toe, how miserable that would have been? The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on the Egyptians. So not only could the Egyptians not replicate it, but they themselves were afflicted. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Remember a few weeks ago, Travis was speaking, and he said 20 times in the story we hear about Pharaoh's heart. Ten times Pharaoh hardens his heart. Ten times God hardens his heart. What does it mean when the Bible says that God hardened his heart? The question is, what is man's heart like um, by nature? His heart is what? It's hard. 
Our hearts are naturally hard, and the only thing that keeps our hearts from being as hard as they could be is God's common grace. God is gracious to all men by keeping our hearts from being as hard as they would be naturally. And so really, hardening Pharaoh's heart is the withdrawing of his common grace from Pharaoh's heart. So Pharaoh's heart did what hearts normally do. They hardened against God. Let me show you that in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, For even though they knew God, did you know that all men know God? In our heart of hearts, all men know God. And you say, well, how do people know God? Because the Bible says God has clearly revealed himself in creation. Anybody who's been outside knows there is a God. God's revealed himself to all men in creation and in our Conscience, it's not only on the outside, it's on the inside because we all know right from wrong. Sin is not about ignorance, it's about rebellion. Man's problem is not that he's ignorant because he knows God, it's one of rebellion. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, didn't obey him, didn't worship him as God or give thanks. Are you a thankful person? that they didn't honor him as God or give thanks. But notice what happens. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. When men don't honor God and acknowledge God, the Bible says God gives them over. If you'll read Romans 1, it says over and over again that they didn't acknowledge God, and God gave them over, and God gave them over, and God gave them over. I love what someone said, that uh, God greases the slide in whatever direction we want to go. That if we want to go toward God, he greases the slide so that we move toward God. And if we run away from God, God greases the slide that we would go away from God. That's what it's saying here. And that's what it's saying with Pharaoh, that the Lord hardened his heart. You don't want to acknowledge me? Have it your way. That's why if you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Back to the story. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, I mean, do you think it's intimidating to share your faith sometime? How would you like to stand before the most powerful person on earth who had power of life and death over your eyes and tell them what God told you? Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve thee, serve me. For this time I will send my plagues on you. It's going to happen to you and your servants and your people uh, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. I am doing these things, Pharaoh, so that you would know there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would have been cut off from the earth. God had shown mercy to Pharaoh and had not put him to death yet. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power. Pharaoh, I have kept you alive so that I could show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth and so that God's name would be proclaimed throughout the earth. My wife, Karen, was reading in Joshua this morning. Remember the story of Rahab? You know what Rahab told the spies? We have heard. We have heard how God delivered his people through great signs and wonders. You see, the very thing Moses says, the reason that God had um, 
was doing these things so that all the earth would hear about it. We read about that in Rahab. And you know what's going to happen in four weeks on Easter? All the earth is going to hear what God has done for his people, that God has saved his people through his mighty acts of Christ dying and rising for us, right? That, my, that in order to proclaim my name through all the earth, still you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. But about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as has not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Very interesting, the first Sunday in March of 1991, we had our first service in the Riverview Club. But the day before, it hailed in St. Augustine. It hailed, and our front yard was completely covered with hail. God's Word's always so amazing. Here we are 30 years later, and the story has hail in it. Now, therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field is safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, when the hail comes down on them, will die. The one, among, the one among the servants of Pharaoh, who feared the word of the Lord, made his servants and his livestock flee into the house. But he who has paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. I mean, isn't the same story told over and over again? Once again, what Moses says, listen, if you'll listen to God, if you'll say yes to God, you can save yourself, you can save your animals, bring them in the house, and those who listened to were saved, and those who didn't listen, the animals and the people died outside. Now the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, that hail may fall on the land of Egypt, on man and on beast, and on every plant of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, um, very severe, such as had not been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Can you imagine how terrifying that would have been, fire and hail from heaven? The hail struck it all that was in the field, through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Can you imagine you're living in a place, if you're an Israelite, you live in a place where there's no hail, but everyone around you is destroyed. What would you do? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for sparing us from your wrath. Isn't that the story we hear over and over again? Listen, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and, and be saved, right? Isn't that Peter and John in, in Acts chapter 4? Isn't it the same message? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. History is moving toward a judgment date. There's only one way to be saved, and that's to believe in Jesus won't you? That's why we share Christ with others, because we want people to be prepared for that day. Back to the story. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord for me, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall say... 
to stay no longer. Now, it seems like Moses repents, doesn't it? Um, but do you think he's really ready to repent, do you? You know what we call this? Crisis faith. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done this. You forgot to study for a test in school. You didn't do that, did you? And you, and you prayed, oh, God, if you'll help me through this test, I'll serve you and follow you all the days of my life, right? You did that, or maybe you got sick and you prayed, and then what, when, when you passed the test or when you got better, you forgot about that deal. That's not saving faith. That's Christ's faith, and that's what... Pharaoh has. So Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be hail no longer that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Uh, you only have Christ's faith. Now the flax and the barley were ruined for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not ruined for they ripen late. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and rain no longer poured on the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. No! And he did not let the sons of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Over and over again, Moses says, no, no, no. And what is he doing? He's bringing death and destruction into his life and through all the land of Egypt, his country is being ruined by his proud, stubborn heart. Matter of fact, reading this reminded me so much of Proverbs 16, 18. Doesn't it? Pride goes before destruction. He says, no, no, no to God. And what happens? He's being destroyed. His family's being destroyed. All of Egypt's being destroyed. And a haughty spirit before stumbling. Hmm. Is that you? No, no, is it? Now, what did Jesus say in, in Matthew 23? How different what Jesus said. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. The person who, who wants to be God and exalts himself over God, he's going to be humbled. Isn't Pharaoh being humbled? He's losing everything because he exalts himself. But notice Jesus says, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Who humbled himself and later was exalted? Who? Jesus, right? I mean, God the Son, didn't he humble himself by becoming obedient, didn't he? Uh, by coming to earth. And, and wasn't he obedient in everything? Matter of fact, an amazing verse. Look at this in John chapter 8. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I... What? I always. I mean, to us, we might say, well, I sometimes do what's pleasing to God. But Jesus said, what I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Listen, Jesus kept the Ten Commandments. Yes, he lived the beautiful life. Jesus obeyed his Father in everything. Even when it meant what? Dying on the cross in our place. And because he humbled himself, what happened? On the third day, he rose from the grave, right? And hasn't he been exalted to the right hand of the Father? And what does the Bible say? That it, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't we see two different people? We see Pharaoh who says, no! And what happens? He brings death and destruction on himself and all of Egypt, doesn't he? And then we see Jesus who says, yes, who lived a beautiful life and through his humility and obedience, what? Listen, life is given to all who believe in him. 
If you wanted to invite a friend to come and see Jesus, but you could only use one verse to share your faith, what verse would you use? Now, I really like John 3.16, but, but I might pick this verse if it only had one verse. Romans 6.23. Will you read this verse with me? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the gospel means good news, and the good news is there's a free gift of eternal life. That's the good news, but the gospel has some bad news. Here's the bad news. Look at three words I want you to see. First, I want you to see sin. What is sin? You ever maybe speak to your kids, and you tell your kid, and they're real little to do something, and they look up at you, and they say what? No! That ever happened to you? How do you feel? You want to say, what? Well, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of this world, right? You know what sin is? It's Pharaoh looking at God and saying what? No! That's sin. God says, I want first place in your life. And we look at God and say what? No! And God says, honor your father and mother. And we say, no! Over and over again. Sin is personal. It's against God. That's sin. Then notice the word wages. That's been in the news lately, lately right? About the minimum wage, to raise it to $15. But the question is, is the worker what? Worth $15 an hour because a wage is paying someone what, what they're worth. So listen, the Bible says what we deserve for our sin is what? Is death. Sometimes people say, well, smiley, all I want from God is what I deserve. Say, no, no, the one thing you don't want from God is what you deserve. I've got way better news for you than that. So you see, <clears throat> sin, we've sinned against God. There's wages and it leads to death. And death in the Bible is separation. It's saying the wages of sin is not simply the separation of our body and spirit from one another in physical death. It's the separation of our body and spirit from God and from all good things forever. That's what eternal death is. That's what hell is. Sin, we've sinned. What we deserve is eternal death. But here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look first at Jesus. Jesus is unique. He's a savior. He's not our life coach. He didn't come to earth and coach us how to live. He's God the Son who put on flesh and came to earth. He lived a life of obedience, the beautiful life. He lived the life that God requires that we couldn't, and he did it for us. And then he went to the cross. And here's what happened on the cross. Our sin, our disobedience was placed on Jesus. Our wages. He took the wages, our wages, what we deserve. He took sin. He took our wages. And he died on the cross in our place. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was experiencing the penalty that our sins deserve. He died for our Christ, for our sins. And he paid for our sins once and for all. He was buried. And on the third day, he walked out of the tomb. When a dead man walked out of the tomb, he was proving that the penalty for sin had been paid in full and sin and death could hold us no longer, that he had conquered death. And so he could offer to us the greatest gift ever given, the free gift of eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's forgiveness for sins. What would you pay to go to bed tonight forgiven? It's the opportunity to do life with Jesus now. It's the opportunity to do life with Jesus forever. 
And, and how do we receive this gift? We receive this gift by faith. In John chapter 8, it teaches us about that faith. John chapter, or John chapter 6, uh, just wanted to see if you guys were paying attention. Will you read this verse with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now, when you see truly, truly, Jesus is saying, wake up. This is really important. Now, who does Jesus say has eternal life? He who believes. So if you believe, that means that you have been forgiven. You have the chance to do life in eternity with Jesus. And if you haven't, don't you want to? But Smiley, what does it mean to believe? Well, it doesn't mean what Pharaoh did. That's Christ's faith. To, to, to trust God to help you pass a test or, or, or to help you through a, a financial crisis. No, no, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is trusting Jesus for eternal life. And saving faith really is as simple as ABC where we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And, and if you've never done that, won't you do that even now? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe. You died on the cross in my place for my sins and rose. But then it's to commit. It's to trust him, to trust him as Savior. Jesus, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in what you did for me. I'm going to trust you for eternal life. Give me eternal life. It's to trust Jesus as Lord. I'm tired of rebelling against you. I'm willing to say yes to you. As you move in and give me strength, I'll follow you all the days of my life. And listen, if you've never done that, won't you do that? You can do that right where you are. Come up after the service. I'd be glad to assist you. But if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart because one day it will be too late. And, and if you have, I want you to know you have eternal life. So you already are doing life with Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, you know what he says to us? He says, follow me. Follow me into the beautiful life. So what we've learned so far, you see, we've learned that Jesus lived the beautiful life. When we believe in him, he invites us to follow him. So here's the action step for this week. I want you to follow Jesus to the beautiful life. If you want to live a beautiful life, follow Jesus. And I have a question for you. It's very important. Why is it important that we believe in Jesus before we attempt to follow Jesus? Why is that important? Thank you. We need him. You know why? We need him for two reasons. First of all, without Jesus, we don't want to follow him. And secondly, we're not able to. Without Jesus, we don't want to follow him and we're not able to. So the moment we believe in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The reason we're given the Holy Spirit is to change our want to and to give us the power to. It's the Holy Spirit who makes the life of Jesus beautiful to us. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the desire and the power to follow Jesus into the beautiful life. Matter of fact, I would say the Bible reveals Jesus as true, but the Holy Spirit reveals him as treasure. Look at him. Look at the life he lived. Isn't that the life you want to live? Follow him. He's wiser than you. Follow him. So I want to teach you what your part is and what his part is in following Jesus into the beautiful life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, listen carefully, our part and his part. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Is that our part or his part? Is that what? That's, that's our part. Our part is to gaze at Jesus. That's our part. If we want to live the beautiful life, our part is to gaze at Jesus. But we all with unveiled face, 
beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. See, that's in the passive voice. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He gives us the desire and power as we look at the beauty of Christ to follow him, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Don't you see him? Isn't that the way you want to live? And then as we say, Holy Spirit, give us the desire and power to follow Jesus, he does. From glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So our part, our part is to gaze at Jesus. And uh, the Spirit's part is to form Jesus in us. So how do we gaze at Jesus? We have our little gazing guide for you. Hopefully when you sat down this morning, there was a study in your seat. Listen, I want you to pick it up. And I want you to open it to page six and seven. And it will look like this. That as a church, we say we want to make disciples together and we want to do it Jesus style. And we believe that begins when we win the lost. When people are one, then we want to build the believer. And then we want to equip the worker and multiply disciple makers. Now, if you notice, when someone becomes a believer, then Jesus says what? Follow me. Well, to follow Jesus, we need to spend time with him. We need to gaze at him. We get to gaze at him. And so if you'll see, when someone comes to faith in Christ, we want them to develop the practice of worship in small group and reading the word and praying alone. Why? Because our part, if we want to be transformed, is to what? To gaze at Jesus in his word, and then the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms us. So if you'll look a couple of pages later, I want you to take this book with you. Every month when this comes out, there's a page for message notes. You might hear something when you come that you want to write down. The reason we gather together is not to come with a scorecard and rate the message from 1 to 10. The reason we come together is because we realize that our part in the Christian life is to gaze at Jesus. And when we gaze at him together, it's even more powerful. We've come to look at Jesus together because that's our part. And then the next page has to do with our small group cue. The reason we gather in small group, the reason we open up the Bible together is because when we gaze at Jesus together, that's our part. That's when we see the beauty of Christ. That's when we can say, Holy Spirit, that's the way I want to live. Give me the desire and power to follow Jesus into the beautiful life. And then if you turn the next page, there's a place for you to spend time with Jesus, to read his word to pray his word, to, to share his word. If you've been reading through the New Testament with us, join us again. We're going to start Luke. If you haven't been, join us in Luke. The reason we get up and spend time with Jesus is that's our part, is to gaze at him, and you can do it. There's a guy named Bobby that I had the privilege of winning to Christ, and I've been discipling him, and nobody's done. He's been a Christian for less than two months, but he's read Matthew and he's read Mark. You know why? because no one told him he was too young to read the Bible. He's actually reading the Bible, and he's having the time of his life, because when we gaze at Jesus, that's how our lives are changed. The Holy Spirit says, don't you want to live like that? Isn't that the life you want? When we gaze at Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, look what it would look like to keep the Ten Commandments. Imagine, imagine good news filled with people who gaze at Jesus, and then they put God first. 
They honor their father and mother. They reserve sex for marriage. They speak the truth. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't people notice a thousand people unleashed in our community, wouldn't they? Listen, is there a sin in your life you want to overcome? You know how you overcome sin? You gaze at Jesus and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you see that Jesus is more beautiful than the sin that holds you captive. And you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire and power to live the beautiful life. Listen, are you struggling in relationships? Do you know how you have healthy relationships? You gaze at Jesus and you look at how he loves us and you ask the Holy Spirit to help us love the way we've been loved. And you look at how Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive as you've been forgiven. Is there someone you want to win to Christ? Are you reluctant? You know what you can do? Is gaze at Jesus. You can gaze at Jesus, and when you see how beautiful and amazing he is, then you pray, Holy Spirit, help me to go and invite others to come and see how beautiful Jesus is. See how simple it is? It really, really is simple. Jesus lived a beautiful life, didn't he? And uh, when we believe in him, he invites us to follow me. So I want to encourage you this week to, to follow Jesus into the beautiful life. It's really, really simple. Our part is to gaze at Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's part to form him in us. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory. Is he amazing? Isn't he amazing? The glory of the Lord are being transformed from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself and coming to earth, humbling yourself even to the point of death on a cross. Thank you for dying in our place for our sins once and for all. And Lord, we're so thankful that you rose on the third day and you offer us the greatest gift ever, the free gift of eternal life. And if you've never received the gift, won't you? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit, Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. As you, as you give me strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. Well, if you've done that, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you or tell someone Lord, it's your people. Thank you for inviting us to follow you in the beautiful life. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your church. This week, as we worship and, and go to small group and get up and spend time with you, may we see you. And then Holy Spirit, help us to follow Jesus into the beautiful life out of our sin and, and into healthy relationships and to telling others about you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.